you're thankful that even though our sin had left the crimson stain, you're cleansed and forgiven, free in Jesus. Let's spend a moment thanking him for that now. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you paid it all. Thank you that you declared it is finished. And you finished it. You completed it. You accomplished the work that you came to do. Thank you for the great truth of it is finished. That you have paid our debt in full. That you have paid for our sins. That you, in our place, were condemned, were beaten, were tortured, were killed so that we might have life. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that you, our perfect Savior, died in our place, rose from the grave so that, we can, so that we can know eternal, everlasting, and abundant life in you. What a Savior you are. We thank you, not just this morning, but for all eternity, for what you have done to make us sons and daughters, for what you have done to adopt us into your own family for what you have done to prepare us a place in your Father's house. We are grateful. We, your people, are gathered to express our gratefulness to you for what you have done in our place for us. But Lord, we thank you that your work isn't all in the past. We thank you that you continue to work. And so we pray that you would continue your good work in us right now. Teach us, mold us, shape us. Lord, open our eyes to the truth of your word and pave some good paths in our lives that we might know your will and your ways, that there might be no doubt about what you require of us and what you want from us because you paid it all and all to you we owe. So Lord, would you help us see your will and your way, particularly as it relates to the gathering of your church. Thank you for gathering us as your people, and we pray that you would teach us what that means, how you want us to live in relation to your bride, to your body, to your church. Lord, we need you in this moment. We pray for your help and ask you for it in your great name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this morning we are beginning a short sermon series on the importance and benefits of gathering as a church family. In other words, why do we do what we are doing right now? Why do we do this? Why do we gather in this room, sing these praises, hear messages with these other believers in a day and time where there are other means of singing, other means of hearing sermons? Why gather in this room together? Now, our normal practice at Miller Heights Baptist Church is to preach consecutively, passage by passage, through whole books of the Bible. And we are going to continue that systematic exposition as our predominant diet. I want you to know that. But every now and then... It's good to take a step back and focus on some particular issues that the Scripture teaches us about. And that's one of those times. And this particular series was born out of an alarming trend that I'm noticing in our church 
and in many other churches where there was once an assumption that Christians attended corporate worship service week in and week out, there seems to be a growing number of people today who call themselves Christians who rarely, if ever, gather with God's people. In fact, if you've been here any length of time, we all know people who are part of this church who used to gather regularly with this church family. In fact, in my mind, I can remember kind of where they sat. They still live in this area. They haven't had any major life changes. They just stopped gathering. They just stopped coming. The global pandemic has only made things worse. I saw one study recently that estimated about one-third of regular attenders before the pandemic have now fallen out of the habit of church attendance. Is it worth the risk and the time and the effort to continue regularly gathering on Sunday mornings? Is it worth it? What I want to do over the next few weeks is argue that it is more than worth it. It's more than worth getting up early and driving down here to church and gathering with these annoying sinners, putting up with a bunch of offenses to be here. It's worth missing some ball games. It's worth missing some yard work. It's worth missing some time at the lake or the beach. It's worth actually putting on clothes and actually showing up here physically instead of just staying on the couch and watching the live stream. And it's not just worth it because I say it's worth it. Like you would expect me to say that. But what I want to say is it's worth it because God says it's worth it. That's the foundation of what I want to lay in this series. That's sort of the path that we want to pave for the gladness of our souls and for the good of future generations who, in case you haven't been reminded of this in a while, who are observing our examples. Let's pave some paths here for the gladness of our souls and the good of future generations who are paying attention to our example. And so let me begin this sermon series by pointing you to a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Rome. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 15 to begin this morning. This is the prayer of Paul's that I think expresses God's heart for each individual local church And at the same time, gives us the main reason we should attend the corporate gathering of the church. Romans chapter 15, we're going to read verses 5 through 7. Romans 15, beginning in verse 5, Paul prays, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, the context of this 
prayer of this passage here at the end of the book of Romans is very important. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is full of gospel truth. Paul hammers home the essential beliefs of our faith. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not even one. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul hammers the Gospel home for 11 chapters, and because the Gospel has implications for our everyday lives, in chapter 12, Paul shifts gears, and he begins to exhort us to living sacrifices for the glory of God, to offer ourselves by the mercies of God to be a living sacrifice for Him. You see, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of our salvation, is not just to be believed and then forgotten. The message of Christ crucified for sinners should propel us to devote our entire lives for glorifying God, for His honor, for His praise. And according to Romans 12-16, through the second half of the book, a big part of what it means to live in light of the Gospel a big part of what it means to live for the glory of God is how we relate to each other in the context of the church. And so beginning in chapter 14, Paul urges us to not let our individual preferences get in the way of our fellowship with each other. Non-essential matters like what to eat and what days to celebrate should be an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and to put others first. We should not demand that others conform to our preferences, to our opinions, Paul says. The peace and upbuilding of the body is far more important than our individual preferences. Our individual preferences, our individual opinions do not even compare with the importance of the building up of the body. Which, that's why it's been so sad to see over these past couple years how the body of Christ has been torn and divided by politics and all manner of other non-essential things. And so in chapter 15, 1-3, Paul begins to summarize what he's taught in chapter 14. In fact, let's read verses 1-3 through of chapter 15. Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for His good, to build Him up. And then he gives the example of Christ in verse 3. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on Me. And so Paul says the kind of people we ought to be is the kind of people who find satisfaction in denying ourselves, denying our preferences, denying our opinions for the spiritual good of others. To build each other up, not to please ourselves, but for the the building up of the body. After all, this is the example that Christ has set for us, Paul says. Our goal should, should be to build each other up, not to tear each other down because we have differing opinions on non essential matters. And so, after this exhortation to Christ centered humility, Christ centered unity, Paul tells the church what he's praying for them. So he tells them to build each other up, lay down your preferences, and then he says, here's what I'm praying 
for you. He tells them both what he's praying for and he tells them why he's praying these things. And because this prayer is inspired by God, I assume that this prayer expresses God's desire for all of his churches. Now, there's so much we could unpack in this prayer, but I want to make sure we don't miss the main truth of this prayer. We learn from this prayer, and here's the main point that togetherness in a local church glorifies God. Togetherness in a local church glorifies God. Paul is praying that God would be seen as glorious because of how the Christians are together. This is why the church exists. Among all the other purposes of the church, this is the one that is foundation and center of them all. Like everything else in all of creation, the church exists for the glory of God. We exist to declare and to show His magnificence, His brilliance, His beauty. And this prayer teaches us that togetherness is what glorifies God in the church. This is what Paul is praying for. He's praying for a sweet harmony that will result in much glory to God. Look at verse 6 again. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Notice the word harmony in verse 5. The word harmony means a pleasing arrangement of parts. Harmony is taking things that are different and gathering them in such a way that together they're more beautiful than if they were separate. That's what it means to harmonize. And Paul is praying that the church would be in harmony. He's praying, if you'll let me use this expression, to be quilted together. He's praying that we will be quilted together into this awesome masterpiece for the glory of God. He's praying that God would take the individual members of the church with all of their differences and connect them in such a way that together they may with one voice glorify God. Notice the language Paul uses in verse 6. He uses the word together. Or your translation may say, with one mind. So Paul is praying for this actual unity, that we would actually be together, that we would be truly woven together in this shared mission, that we would be together in unison. And notice the phrase, with one voice, in verse 6. He's praying that we'll be together with one voice. And so he's praying for an expressed unity, not just an actual unity, that we would be together, but that that unity would be declared. That unity would be expressed in the church, that we would declare our common passion outwardly. And so Paul is praying for a harmony of purpose, a harmony of passion in this local church. Paul is praying for a harmonious unity. Friends, This is the picture of what we're to strive for in the church. Even though we're all very different, we are to be together. We are to be unified. Even though we all have different opinions on various subjects, even though we're not all in the same life situation, even though we don't all have the same social status or economic status or even the same color skin, We all are to have the same central passion because we are all playing on the same team. To run with this sort of one voice metaphor, we're to all have the same song 
even if we don't all sing the same parts. The song we are to sing is the song of our Savior who died in our place and has captivated our affections. And the staggering implication of this prayer is that the way to glorify God is not to go out and all individually make a commitment to glorify God by ourselves, as I think is often portrayed in sermons. The way to glorify God is to live in unity together, yielding ourselves for the good of others. The glory of God is at stake in our harmony, in our togetherness in the local church. I would argue, how in the world would we ever be in harmony? How in the world would we ever be together? How in the world would we ever have the same voice if we never actually gather together to listen to God's Word together, to feast on the truth together? God is glorified in our harmony together. And that's why we gather on Sunday mornings week after week after week because being together gathering in harmony glorifies our God. And glorifying our God is the most important thing we could ever do. So here's how it's summarized. The main reason Christians should gather for corporate worship with their church family. Here's the main reason. We're going to go on to talk about other various reasons in this series, but here is the foundation of all the others. Because the Lord wants you to. Because the Lord wants you to. Why should we gather together regularly for corporate worship? Because God wants us to. It glorifies Him. Again, we're going to draw out other reasons, other benefits to attending church regularly, but here's one that gives meaning to every other one. Why do we gather? Why do we do this? We gather to glorify God. We gather to be together to, with one voice, glorify our great God and Father. Now, I realize that there there would be an objection at this point. Someone could say, okay, we all agree with that, Justin. Like, no one disagrees with everything that you've just said, but that's all very general. There are lots of ways that we can glorify God. What if I want to glorify God in other ways than being in church on Sunday mornings at 1030? Do Christians really need to attend church to glorify God? Well, that's a valid question. And so let me get a little more specific and show you from Scripture why I know that the Lord wants His people to gather with their church family regularly. And so what I want to do is give you five ways that the Bible teaches that Christians should gather to glorify the Lord. Five reasons why the idea of togetherness and harmony and with one voice in Romans 15 implies actually meeting like we're doing right this moment. Five ways the the Bible teaches that God expects Christians, wants Christians to gather with their church family. And the first reason is this. Number one, the word church means gathering. The word itself means gathering. The Greek word translated church is ekklesia. It means, in its most basic form, assembly gathering, congregation. Now, you've probably all heard someone say the word ecclesia means called out ones. 
And that's from the etymology of the word. It's the Greek word out and the Greek word call, called out ones. But that's a more Christian interpretation. This is actually a word that's used in secular literature of the time. In fact, in Acts, I think it's chapter 19, this word ekklesia is used of a non-Christian gathering, of an assembly of people together. And so at its most basic meaning, the word church means gathering. It means assembly. Now, as a Christian understanding, we mean it's an assembly of the called out ones. It's an assembly of those whom God has called by His grace. But at its most basic meaning, church is a gathering. It's an assembly. And so when Jesus and the apostles thought of individual local churches like the ecclesia in Ephesus and the ecclesia in Corinth, they were thinking of a gathering of believers in a particular location. They weren't thinking about a church building There were no church buildings. They were thinking about Christians assembling in the name of the Lord. This is such a basic point, but I think it has so many implications for how we view church. In a very real sense, gathering together on Sunday mornings is not just something that we do as a church, as if it's just one of the many things that makes a church a church. No, gathering is fundamentally what a church is. If a church does not gather, it is not a church. Like You can't be a gathering that doesn't gather. You're no longer a gathering. It's impossible to be a non-gathering gathering. And so gathering as a church is not just something we do. It is fundamentally who we are. Assembling in the name of the Lord is our identity given to us by God. God saves us individually in order to assemble us corporately. He saves us individually to gather us corporately. This is what our God does. Look through the Scriptures. This is what our God does at every stage in the history of His people. He gathers His people. He gathers them. And so, to argue that it's possible to be part of the church but never actually gather with the church is nonsense. Church means gathering. Here's the second and the most clear reason that I know God wants us to gather. Number two, God commands Christians to gather. Period. God commands Christians to gather. So turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see this. This is one of those passages that has been abused in so many ways. I've seen this passage dismissed as irrelevant to modern Christians, and I've seen this passage used by some to create an incredibly legalistic set of rules that sort of strip this command of its power. So let's make sure and look at it and see what it actually says. But at the end of the day, we're going to see that this is a command from God that the church gather, that Christians gather with the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so based on the gospel truths in the first part of the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews here gives three exhortations in verses 21 through 24. The final exhortation he gives in verse 24 is that we should stir up one another 
to love and good works. And so verse 25 is the practical outworking of that command to stir up one another. In other words, he's asking the question, how do we stir up one another? By what means do we stir up one another and encourage one another? Well, by meeting together. We encourage one another as we await the second coming of Jesus by gathering together, by not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So evidently, according to verse 25, some of the believers here in the first century were in the habit of skipping out on the gathering of God's people. It's exactly what we see happening today and throughout history. Christians neglecting the command to stir up one another by neglecting to meet with one another. Actually, the word neglect in verse 25 is a very strong word that means to forsake. It means to abandon. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying that failing to meet with God's people is equivalent to abandoning them. To give up gathering is to abandon God's people. And notice what the opposite of neglecting the church is in verse 25. He says, don't neglect meeting together, but rather do what? Encourage one another. And notice the phrase, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the urgency of this command? The day of Jesus' return is drawing near. And so what should we do? Seeing the day draw near? Well, until Christ comes, this is our task, to meet together to encourage one another. As time goes on, our commitment should not diminish It should grow stronger, according to verse 25. The closer we get to the day of Christ arriving, the greater our passion should be to meet together, to stir one another up, to encourage one another. This passage makes clear that the church is ordained by God to be the main means of our sanctification, of our endurance. The church is the gift of God to stimulate us, to draw near to Him, and to hold fast to Christ to the end. And so let me just say it as clearly as I know how, as bluntly as I know how. And I believe this is what this passage and other implications of the Scripture teach. It is a sin to abandon the gathering of the church. It's a sin to abandon the gathering of the church for no good reason. It's a sin to fail to stir up one another. It's a sin to fail to encourage one another as we see the, draw, the day of Christ drawing near. God commands gathering for His glory and for our good. Our job isn't to question God's wisdom on this. Our job is to obey. Jesus is head of the church. He calls the shots. He is to be joyfully obeyed. And so, how do I know God wants us to gather week in and week out? Because He commands it. Commands His people to gather. Here's the third reason I know God wants us to gather. The Bible assumes Christians will gather. Not only does God command us to, but we see in the Scripture that there's this assumption that God's people will gather. So not only do we see this clear command, but then we just get this general assumption from the New Testament from all of the instructions that we get. Let me give you just a few examples. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is giving instructions about partaking of the Lord's Supper. The Corinthians were doing it all wrong. They lacked unity. They were selfish. And so when Paul gives them these instructions, he's assuming they will gather. In fact, here's how he introduces 
his instructions about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, he says, when you come together as a church, when you come together, not if you come together, but when you come together, here's how you do it. And so Paul doesn't tell them to gather in terms of a command. He knows they will gather, and he, need, he tells them to gather in a certain way. Also, think about how many instructions the New Testament gives us for what we should and should not do when we gather. These commands would make no sense if we never gathered. For example, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are full of instructions about how to practice the spiritual gifts in the gathering of God's family. Those instructions would absolutely make no sense if we did not gather. In 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, 19, Paul says, Nevertheless, in church, that is, in the gathering, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so Paul gives us a principle for when the church gathers. That is, prioritize what is helpful to the people of God assembled. Prioritize what's going to build them up. Also think about the instructions to church leadership, to giving in the church, reading Scripture publicly, preaching God's Word. Practicing church discipline, praying corporately, all of those things would make no sense if God did not expect us to gather regularly. Gathering as a church is the only logical inference from the vast majority of the New Testament that assumes the church will gather. The fourth reason I know God wants us to gather, the Bible gives examples of Christians gathering. Not only do we have a command, not only do we have assumptions, but we have examples of Christians gathering. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point because it's so obvious. Just read the book of Acts and you will encounter a church with a passion to gather. Read the letters of Paul and you will encounter local church after local church that assembled for the glory of God. And I think we should follow the example of the earliest Christians. If we believe that we should follow their example, we should gather as well. Fifth and final way I know God wants us to gather is that the Bible gives us benefits of gathering. The Bible tells us about the benefits of gathering. So one of the ways we know God wants us to attend corporate worship is because of the many benefits that come to us when we do gather. I'm not going to list those here because that's what we're going to do for the next about six weeks in this sermon series. And so we're going to try to lay out just a few of the most important practice, uh, practical and precious benefits that come to us when we commit ourselves to gathering regularly with God's people. Week by week by week, when we gather, God is among us accomplishing good designs in our souls. So I hope you'll join us over the next few weeks as we explore some of those benefits of gathering. Now... After saying all of that, let me say, there, there are no specific commands in the Bible that we gather every single Sunday, every single week. We are commanded to gather, but there are no specific commands that we, that we're, how often we're to gather or necessarily on what days that is that we are to, get to gather. So I, I want to say that clearly, but I want to say this as well. Christians throughout church history have gathered every week on Sundays. The Lord's Day is what it was called at the very minimum. We see throughout church history, Christians actually gathered much more than once a week. But at the very minimum, we see throughout church history, 
that God's people have set aside a day a week, calling it the Lord's Day, in order to gather with other believers for the benefit of their souls. And the reason they did that is based on the Sabbath principle of taking one day each week to rest and rejuvenate, to disconnect from the normal habits of our everyday lives. Christians have understood that best to be done by gathering with God's people to be refreshed in the Word and to find our rest in assembling with other believers. The Puritans actually used to call the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. I love that. Go to the market any other day of the week. But Sundays was a a market day for the soul. Our souls need to be restocked. Our souls need to be refilled. And we see that pattern in the Sabbath principle that even God rested on the seventh day, giving us an example that we should follow. And so someone could could kind of sit back on their high horse and say, well, as long as I attend a few times a year, I'm being obedient to God, right? Someone could say, there's no commands about how often we're to gather. I'll come about once a month, and what's wrong with that? That same person could actually argue that God doesn't expect us to gather every single Sunday. That's just a legalistic rule created by men. However, I would argue that if that's your line of reasoning, if that's sort of where you've landed and you're following of Christ and you're glorifying of God, you're on very dangerous ground. And the reason I think you're on very dangerous ground is because it puts you out of step with the vast majority of Christians throughout history. If you use that line of of reasoning, what you're basically saying, let's just call it what it is, what you're basically saying is that you're more enlightened and you need less of God's appointed means of grace than the majority of Christians throughout church history. Is that where you want to be? Is that what you want to say? I don't. Now, I don't think my role in this sermon or in this series is to create some kind of rule that only creates pride and guilt. Rather, I think my role is to tell you what God has said and to remind you of the benefits of taking God at His Word. And the Bible clearly says that God wants His people to gather regularly. That's indisputable. And so if you want a summary of this sort of why we gather series, here's the summary. We gather to glorify God. We gather because God is more important to us than anything else in our schedule. If we don't gather regularly, what we're saying is that something or someone else is more important than God to you. Christians throughout church history have found the time and the desire to gather week in and week out. And if you're too busy to do that, I submit to you, you're much busier than God ever intended you to be. And so because of the call to gather... And because of the benefits of gathering, we are to prioritize attending corporate worship on Sunday mornings, not as some kind of joyless duty, but as a a desire to glorify and praise our God. We are to prioritize attending corporate worship on Sundays, not out of joyless duty, not out of some legalistic box checking, but because we want nothing more than God to be glorified in us. 
We want to be in harmony with His people that we might with one voice glorify Him. Now, I don't usually do this. That's the end of my sermon, but I've got some other things I want to say. And so just pastorally, just some pastoral thoughts, some pastoral wisdom to sort of conclude this sermon that I hope helps you. I want to ask and answer the question, are there exceptions to the expectation that Christians are to regularly gather with their church family? Are there times and seasons where it's okay to not gather regularly? And of course, the answer is yes. There, there are some exceptions. But what I don't want to do here is, is somehow list these, expect, these exceptions and water down the reality of what we've just seen in Scripture that God expects us to gather. At all costs, God expects us to gather. And so these exceptions aren't meant to water that down at all, but rather just to give some, some pastoral wisdom to you as you make decisions for you and your family. So, for example, exceptions in times of sickness. In times of sickness. Illness can cause us to be unable to get out of bed. And if our illness is even possibly contagious, basic love for others says not gathering is our best option in that time. In fact, we actually tell people as a church, and we'll say it again clearly, please do not come if you're sick. God understands that. And God is in total control of your sickness. This is one of the reasons that we continue to offer the ongoing live stream of our services. It's so that, it's so that people who are sick, people who are physically hindered from actually being here can in some way understand what's going on and hear God's Word proclaimed. We aren't providing the live stream so that people can watch instead of physically gathering. But when illness hinders us from gathering, the next best thing is tuning in on live stream. We offer that as a benefit, as a help to you. If you're away, if you're sick, please enjoy the live stream. Hopefully that helps you. But never, never use that as a substitute for gathering with God's people. So sickness, illness. I would even put the temporary COVID shutdowns Last year, where most churches shut down for a couple months at least, I would put that in this exception of sickness. When COVID first hit, no one knew what it was going to do, what it was, and churches acted out of an abundance of caution. Churches acted out of wisdom together in, in communion with one another. And so for a short time, we didn't gather for the purpose of getting more information, for the purpose of seeking the best we knew how to love our neighbors and throughout church history, churches have had to do that. Churches have had to suspend for various reasons like pandemics and persecution and things like that. And so I stand by that decision. There may be other times in the future that things happen that we have to temporarily, for a season, shut down with the wisdom that we have, trusting God understands and knows our motives. So sickness, illness is an exception. Another big exception to gathering regularly is sort of physical limitations or being homebound. There are all sorts of sort of physical limitations that could actually keep us from gathering. For many older saints and those with debilitating diseases, coming to church is a significant burden. It is very difficult to actually get here. 
It's one of the great sadnesses of my ministry that I regularly talk to members who are confined to a nursing home, who are confined to a hospital bed, who express just how much they miss gathering with God's people. In fact, I was with Zeta Golden, for those of you who know her, just, just last week, and she just expressed just how much she misses being here. And yet, in the same week, I talked to healthy members who just decided to sleep in that Sunday or some other weak excuse. Friends, don't take for granted that you are healthy enough to gather when so many dear saints cannot anymore. In fact, I know I don't usually do this, but let me just take a minute to commend to you the example of Wayne and Nell Jackson. Wow. Younger people like myself, you have a great example in your midst of a couple who has been committed to this church for over 67 years. I, I would guess 90% of us in here are under 67 years old. We haven't even been alive as long as they have been regularly, faithfully attending this church no matter what. And it's tough. It's tough. Wayne can, can barely stand up on his own. It's a chore to get here. And yet, here they are, week after week after week. Friends, let's follow their example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's follow the Jacksons. Let's follow their example for decade after decade after decade. There are other exceptions as well, of course. Occasionally missing the rather gathering for, vac for vacations, family events, other good things, totally permissible, totally permissible. We want to create a culture of grace here. It's a matter of grace-filled freedom for the individual believer. We need not judge one another, but rather encourage one another and help one another as eternity draws near. Well, let me conclude by just calling you to examine yourself. Examine yourself. You see, that, the, the, issue is not, the issue is not judging others and feeling superior because we gather more than someone else. The issue is examine yourself, examine your heart, examine your family. Are you faithfully gathering with God's people? Is it a priority for you and your family? Are you and your family, if you have kids particularly, are you creating healthy habits that you're an example to them, showing them the way? And let me mention just a few random application points in hopes that maybe one of them helps you evaluate yourself this morning. Number one, if you're out of the habit of gathering regularly, repent with hope this morning. Repent. If you're out of the habit of, of gathering regularly, acknowledge that. Admit that to God and ask Him to forgive you. God will forgive you. Praise God. You can start fresh. Today is a new day and God's mercies are new for you today in Jesus. Secondly, if you only attend a church occasionally, I'm calling you to recommit yourself to showing up when God's people gather. Show up when God's people gather. For the glory of God and the good of your soul, show up. Third, if you do regularly gather, be encouraged today that God has worked this healthy habit into your life. 
I hope you leave here so encouraged. Thank God that whether it was an example of a mother or father or grandparents, whether it was just reading in scripture or some pastor that taught you these things, thank God that you have this healthy pattern in your life. And because we know how easy it is to slip into the habit of not gathering, recommit yourself today to prioritizing the gathering of God's people. Number four, if you do gather regularly, I want to just say to you, please don't feel guilty when you miss church occasionally. Don't feel guilty. Yes, you should feel like you missed something. Man, I hate to miss. I hate it. But don't feel guilty if you miss occasionally. There's freedom to enjoy life and family and leisure and all manner of things. Be encouraged that God's worked this pattern in your life. Yes, evaluate yourself, but but don't feel guilty. Number five, pray for wisdom. Let me just put this over all of life. Pray for wisdom before making plans that are going to keep you away from the church gathered. Is it worth missing church for? That's just a great question to ask. Is it worth missing church for? Is this going to develop into a pattern in my life? Like, it may be totally fine this, this one time or these few times, but is this going to develop a pattern? What can I do to, not, to make sure this doesn't become a pattern in my life? Can my plans be adjusted so that I'm back for Sunday morning? God loves to give wisdom to His people who ask. When, before you take a job, is it going to take me away from Sundays? If it does, can it just be for a short season and find somewhere else so that I'm not hindered from gathering with God's people regularly. God loves to give wisdom to those who ask Him. And so, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, evaluate us in light of your word, in light of your desires for us. Would you search our hearts and see if there's, there's any, any unclean way in us? Search our hearts, Lord. Test us. and Remind us of your great love for us, your great purpose and plan for your chosen people. Help us to enjoy your grace as we live these lives you've given us in community together. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the many years this church has faithfully gathered on Sunday mornings. And Lord, help us for the future generations to continue gathering. Help us for your glory in this community to continue to gather with one voice that together we may glorify and praise you. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. Father, we thank you. Your love for us is so great that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, to save us that we might gather as your people. We thank you for your love and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.